Hello, Mountain. Good to see everyone. Glad you're here. I know some of you are kind of new to Mountain at one of our campuses and just want to say really glad you're here. You're doing the right thing. Keep coming on the weekend. Get to our Welcome to Mountain class and it's fun to hear about how some of you are finding your way into groups and serving and whatnot. Welcome. Glad you're here. So Jackie Robinson, pretty darn good um, second baseman, also broke the color line in 1947 in Major League Baseball. Here's what he had to say. A life isn't significant except for its impact on other lives. A life finds its significance when it, in its impact on others' lives. We're not just here to live an invisible little life in some hole somewhere, sucking air and taking up space until they bury us in the dirt, but that our lives are measured by its impact. Now, I think he's right as far as it goes, but I think there's something else that's really important. Here's the million-dollar question. Lots of people are making an impact, and some of it, frankly, we could do without. Here's the million-dollar question for you and for me. What kind of impact? What kind of impact are you making? A very few of us will be called upon to be great. Someone here might go discover the cure to Alzheimer's or write a book that a million people read. Awesome. But most of us aren't called to that. We're called not to live great lives. We're called to live good lives. And that is something that you can do when you, you make an impact on others. So I'm talking about the life you already have, and the people already in your life. Let me just ask you, are you primarily a giver or a taker? Are you someone who primarily blesses or curses? What kind of impact are you making? Is it, is it positive for the most part or negative? Do you add value to a team, to a family, to your neighborhood, to your community, to this church, to your nation? Or are you a minus quantity? If we surveyed the people around you who know you best and asked them and they could answer truthfully over the last 30 30 days about your life, what would they say? Are you one who tends to build up or tear down? Are you one who tends to breathe life into people or do you suck? the air and life out of them. When I was a kid, one of my teachers had this on a bulletin board uh, in class, used to recite it to us all the time. We are building up or tearing down in all we say and do. Do you belong to the construction gang or to the wrecking crew? Pretty good. We're talking about encouragement today. Encouragement. And and it's in this series called Fake ID. Fake ID meaning this idea of just really saying, who are you really? What's your real name? Not the identities and some of the things we take on ourselves, but who does God see you and name you as? And you may not think of yourself as an encourager, but my friend, listen, you are. You're meant to be an encourager. We spend most of our lives wondering who's going to encourage us. Well, I hope you've been encouraged in this series. I hope you've been encouraged by Abraham and how he moved from a guy who was just kind of, as Abram, getting ready to retire and thinking life was about amassing his wealth, and God called him to a whole new thing about being a blessing to others. I hope you've been encouraged by, by Peter, who discovered that as Simon, he was a broken, broken pieces, but, but Jesus says, no, you are a rock that I can still build with. 
I hope you've been encouraged by that woman, Naomi, who, like us, felt empty and bitter as Mara, and she, she wanted to just give up, but, but God said, no, you, you, are, you are someone who, is, who can be filled up and pleasant just as we can. I hope those have all been encouraging to you, but today I, I want primarily you to see that God has a name for you, and it is encourager. And that's who you are. Who, who are you? What are you about? What's your impact? What's your name? What are you known for? That's a really important question. And when you get serious about following Jesus, one of the things we quickly learn is that it's not just you and Jesus walking along the road together. That's not it. He quickly then has filled you with something. He gives you something to share and rub off on others. He gives you courage. He gives you love. He gives you joy. He gives you something to make an impact, to unleash love on others here, there, and everywhere. And that's Christianity 101, you guys. Basic foundational building block. And one of the huge tools that all of us need to be good at is encouragement. We've got to get good at this. Now, here's how you know who needs encouragement. I'll give you a little test, okay? Here's how you can find out. First of all, everyone do this. Take, take one of your hands, right or left hand, doesn't matter. Put it over your nose and mouth for just a second, just kind of like this. A little bit away, just leave it there for a second. Do you feel any air coming out of there? If you do, you need encouragement, okay? If you're breathing, you need encouragement. If the person next to you is just breathing... They might need encouragement, and you might have noticed they might need encouragement to use the Tic Tac. Actually, you notice that as well. But, okay, so everybody needs encouragement. Okay, am I right? Hello? Everybody needs encouragement. I've never met a single person who's like, well, you just stop with the encouragement already. I've had it up to here. If you give me one more encouragement, I'm going to knock your block off. I've never heard that. Because everybody needs it. Even people who don't like to admit it or who don't receive it well. Because it's like fuel for a car. Encouragement isn't like something we need when we get weak and I guess I couldn't quite buck up and get through on my own. No, the way God designed you as a human being is that we are connected to each other in such a way that God uses other people in our lives to encourage and God wants to use you to encourage others so that God's will and work and way in the world can happen. And it won't happen without it. Like a car won't run without fuel, people don't become and do what they're meant to do without encouragement. It's important. Let's face it. Life is hard. There's so much that saps our strength and steals our joy and robs our confidence, isn't there? Life's like a big bucket and we want to be topped off and filled up all the time. But there's these holes in the bottom that stuff leaks out. Our, our holes of criticism or failure or financial stress and health worries and stuff about our insecurity. All these holes and it drains the courage right out of us. It decourages us. And so we need help putting the courage back in. That's what the word means. In. Courage. There's an old saying, it says, be kind to everyone you meet today, because they are carrying a heavy burden and fighting a hard battle. Be kind to everyone you meet today. They may not show it on their face, they may never tell you with their mouth, but there's, there's a battle there, there's a burden there. So, encouragement isn't this soft, mushy, lightweight Stuff. It's 
It's battle. This is war. Because people get dispirited. People get deflated. People get demeaned. People get devalued. People get discouraged. People get defeated and diminished and deflated and depressed. And they feel dead inside and dumb. And encouragement has power to reverse all of that. To set a new direction. It matters, doesn't it? Encouragement matters. You know, even mighty King David in the Bible needed encouragement. Um, He had work problems in the kingdom. He had family problems. At one point, his own son Absalom was trying to chase him and kill him. Maybe you've had family problems that were so bad you thought I was about to kill you. Or depression or sadness or something that came with it. And in that moment... We have recorded his prayer, and maybe you felt like crying out just like this. Check it out. Psalm chapter 3, verse 3. Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. You ever felt like that? Everywhere I look. And they're all saying, oh, God won't rescue him. He's losing hope. He's losing his courage. But look at what happens. Next verse. But you, oh Lord, you're a shield around me. You are my glory. You are the one who holds my head high. Isn't that a beautiful picture? God, you are the lifter of my head. It's a metaphor. It's a beautiful image of what encouragement is like and does. If, if we tried to picture what discouragement would look like, if you were an actor in a play and you were trying to act as dejected and discouraged as you possibly could, how would you stand? You'd probably stand with your shoulders drooped and your head down. Right? This is, this is a person who needs encouragement. And you see the, the finger of God coming in. Someone from the outside, sent by God, coming in and gently with a finger under the chin. Not to jerk it upward abruptly, but just gently. Gently like, hey, calling your name. Hey, just come. Lifting. See the head come up? And my head comes up. It comes off of the comes off of my own problems. My head gets lifted. I'm no longer consumed with my own issues and my own worries and my own fears and my own discouragement. And now I can see others and God can actually use me to be an encouragement to others. And guess what? That's where some of my own courage comes from. As you encourage others, you find more of your own strength. And God is the lifter of your head and sends you then, having seen others, to do the same. Whose head might you lift this week? Just gently. You know, uh, the Bible talks about this kind of thing all over the place, about being a head lifter and a burden bearer. Galatians 6.2 says it this way, carry each other's burdens. And this is how you fulfill the law of Christ. You want to follow Jesus? Help someone out with the burden they're carrying. You know, my wife Carla, she was involved in the team that led this big thing, uh, uh, Girls' Night Out on Friday night. And she comes home and she's, she's exhausted after that thing's over. You know, after midnight she pulls in, you know, and she, her little pedometer uh, Fitbit deal told her she walked over 10 miles. So she, her feet are throbbing. She's just ready to drop in bed. And then she tells me, oh yeah, and by the way, the van's full of stuff I had to bring home. We got to store it in the basement. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm thinking to myself, good grief. <laughs> after midnight, why don't that stupid church find some place to store all that stuff and give it to us? I mean, 
But instead, for once in my life, I kept my yap shut and I had a moment of brilliance. You know what I did? I actually helped her carry the stuff. Sometimes it's so simple. Yeah, you're clapping because you know how rare it is. I know. Everyone's got burdens and simply stepping in to help lift that burden is a beautiful picture. It's why the Bible has over 60 of these one another phrases for us. 60 times it tells us things like, Help one another, carry one another's burdens, pray for one another, encourage one another, lift one another up, hang in there with each other. So you see, encouragement is not just about being nice. It's about doing the heavy lifting, and this is war, and this is obeying the law of Christ. This is Christianity 101. It's not an elective. This is core curriculum, folks. This is when you encourage someone, you are doing the work of God because you are unleashing a force of good in the world and it will make a difference. It matters. So everybody needs encouragement. Hey, listen, everyone can give encouragement. You may say, I'm not good at it. Well, I, I believe you, uh, but you can learn it. You can learn it. Everybody can give. You know what? Even a baby can give encouragement. You know that? You don't believe me? Check this out. Someone needs to lift that kid's head. There we go. to that all day. That's the good stuff. So what about you? So we're going to learn today, not from a baby, but from a guy in the Bible who uh, was, was a natural encourager. I think it come naturally to him, but he also was very intentional about it. And that's how I want to encourage you. If you're going to be an encourager, it may come naturally for some of us, but not for most of us. It will have to be something we deliberately decide to do. And we can learn from so much in Scripture today, and I want to help you see that. So much was this guy good at it, they gave him a nickname, Mr. Encouragement. Nicknames are fun because um, they kind of uh, describe what, what someone's known for. Here's a picture of my friend Scott. Uh, Scott, uh, we call him Moose. Okay, you might know why. And uh, this guy in the Bible was known as Mr. Encouragement, Sir Encourage-A-Lot, Mr. Encouragement Pants, whatever you want to say, that's what he was known as. And there's three awesome things, keys that can make all of us world-class encouragers if we'll just take them to heart and be intentional about them. Okay, so to learn about it, let's go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, remember, is right after the time of Jesus. So Jesus has come, he's lived, he's loved, he's died, he's risen again, and then he said, I'm leaving my spirit, now you guys go out and make more and better disciples. And the early church is flourishing in the book of Acts. But they've got all these opportunities, more of them than they know how to meet, and they need resources, and they need organization, they need help. They're a little stuck with all the needs before them. And that's where we get introduced to this guy, Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And so there was Joseph, there he is, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. 
Short intro to a guy that is going to feature really, really prominently later in the story of the early church. Joseph, just a real common uh, Jewish name. Cyprus, uh, a little island southeast of Greece, a ways away from where they were in Jerusalem at the time. Significant because later this Barnabas guy would be running all over the world on missionary journeys with the Apostle Paul. And you know the first place they went on the first journey? Cyprus. And a Levite from the tribe of Levi. Levites were like staff who worked in the temple with the priests. Significant because if you recall, just prior to this event in Acts chapter 4, some of the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, some of the hierarchy in the Hebrew faith at that time, had so much animosity toward the early little band of Jesus followers. They had told Peter and John, shut up, stop talking about Jesus or we're going to kill you. So much tension between the Jewish leaders. And yet, here's a Levite who now has started following Jesus with full-on abandon. And that was such an encouragement to those early Christians. Such a consolation. Maybe that's part of the reason that they called him son of encouragement. So nicknames. They're not always flattering, uh, but they're usually pretty indicative of who we are. I knew, you know, Shorty. Uh, I used to be called Shorty. Can understand why. I know a kid that people call Cicada. He's a freshman in college. They call him Cicada. You know why? Because for the first 17 years of his life, he lived underground. And he did nothing. And he was quiet. And then he got to college and he kind of started making a bunch of noise and going to parties. They call him Cicada. I know a girl that some people call Internet Explorer. Because every time there's a joke, she's always the last to get it. And she takes an eternity to react. So, you know, you get these nicknames... <laughs> That characterize people. What are you known for? What are you known for? What's your name? So Acts chapter 4, here's this guy. Can you see it? There's a church board meeting. And they're like, we got all this opportunity. We need resources. What are we going to do? Someone says, I don't know. Let's have a bake sale. Uh, I don't know. Uh, someone else says, how about we have a chariot wash? Maybe we'll have the kids, you know, hold up signs as people come by and, you know, whatever. And then it's Barnabas who speaks up. And he says, hey, guys, you know what? Um, Dorothy and I, you know, we... Uh, We've got that place out by the lake we're going to retire in. Um, we're happy where we are in our present house. So we actually, we actually put it on the market already, and it sold in two days. We thought that maybe was a sign from God. and So we've got the money, and he slides a check across the table and says, I think this money will go a long way to meet some of the needs that we have as a church. Can you believe that? Can you believe the encouragement? that that would have been to everyone around the table? Like, wow, are you kidding me, Barnabas? Are you sure? And it was so contagious that the Bible says that others began to do the same, liquidating things in their 401ks and whatever they needed to meet needs. And, to, and it says there was no needy person among them. It was an amazing community because it started with a guy like Barnabas who was Mr. Encouragement. What are you known for? Let's talk about being a world-class encourager. There's kind of three big things we can see from him. And if you'll just say, I want to try to grow forward as an encourager, you can. Will you try? Let me give you three hooks, okay? Three things. First, speak up. Everybody say, speak up. What's that? Oh, yeah, I didn't hear you. Speak up. Barnabas was really good at using words in the right way at the right time. Speak up. Sometimes you want to be an encourager, that's what you've got to do. Use words in the right way at the right time. 
Acts chapter 9, you remember from last week if you were here. If you didn't, you want to catch the message from Nathan. It's online. It was about a guy named Saul. Saul was this zealous Jewish leader at the time who thought what God wanted was for him to snuff out this upstart, what he thought to be heretical group of Jesus followers. And so he put energy there being a rabid Christ-hater and Christian killer. Except that God met him and Jesus showed up in his life in a personal way and he saw everything completely differently and his heart gets changed and his encounter is so powerful that now he's turning all of his best energies towards sharing this good news of the hope and power and love and grace of Jesus for everyone he can. He's joined the Christian side, but he's in a tight spot. You can imagine why. Because the Jews still looked at him as a traitor and, and as a defector. And so they start kind of hounding him and they want to capture him and they've got him under surveillance. He's like Jason Bourne on the run. So he tries to turn to the disciples of Jesus for protection and affirmation, but they don't want nothing to do with this guy after everything he's done. Look at verse 26. It says, when he arrived in Jerusalem, he attempted to associate with the disciples, and they were all afraid of him because they didn't believe he was a disciple. I mean, we just read his name in the paper three weeks ago. He was killing Christians. Maybe it was their brother, their friend, their mother that he had persecuted or killed. You want us to accept him now? No way. It's almost the very end of Paul's ministry even before it begins. Except, but, something entered that changed everything and it was Barnabas who spoke up. Look at verse 27. But, Barnabas took Saul and he brought him to the apostles and he related, he spoke up. He related to them how Paul really had seen the Lord on the road and the Lord had spoken to him and he was in Damascus. He's on our side. He's a good guy. He speaks to Paul. He speaks to them. He brings things together. Sometimes you've got to stick your neck out and use bold words To encourage someone. And that's what Barnabas did. So probably someone in your life that needs the same. Words are powerful, aren't they? You know, Proverbs 18.21 says it this way, The tongue has the power of life and death. This is a good reminder. You know what you need to do is put your name in there. My tongue. Your tongue has the power of life and death. In your kitchen, on a text, in an email, Over the phone, it's powerful. Proverbs 25 says, A word that is skillfully spoken, like chosen on purpose and aptly delivered, is like apples of gold in a basket of silver. Well, that doesn't sound so awesome to me. Uh, If you really like me, don't give me for my birthday apples of gold in a basket of silver. But this is one of the Bible's ways of saying it's awesome. So apparently it was awesome at one time. Basket with apples in it or whatever a basket of so apples of gold and a basket of silver that's how awesome words are when they come to you and i think sometimes about my own words once you deliver them you can't retrieve them and there they went and they weren't a basket full of apples of gold they were more like a ball of slime and a vat of venom a fiery dart with a toxic twist ouch No thanks. So speak up and give words of life. Long time ago, somebody said, Ben, if you're going to go into the ministry, you need a rainy day file. What's a rainy day file? They told me about it, and I actually took out a a little folder and wrote rainy day file, put it in my desk. said, you know, when someone writes something to you that 
helps you know that something you were a part of actually helped them or God used you in some way or they encourage you in some meaningful fashion. Hang on to that. Because even if you don't need it at the time, you know your cup is all topped off and it's a sunny day, just put it in that file. There's a day coming. You'll reach for that file on a rainy day. And you'll go back and it'll feed your soul. And some 30 years later, I've got quite a little file now. And it has kept me going. It's like fuel. So not only do I hope you have a rainy day file, my real question for you is, whose rainy day file are you making deposits in? Who's the next person who will receive something from you of words that they can put in their rainy day file? And that's one reason I like writing them or sending them in a text or a, or a letter because they can be kept and savored and looked to later. Now, it doesn't have to be amazing. It doesn't have to be a big thing that you write a poem or a long list. You know, it can be just something really, really simple. In fact, as you know, I was out of the country last week on the other side of the world. We're unleashing love here, there, and everywhere. And one of the places is in Myanmar. And I was able to be with our team there. And one afternoon, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to try to be an encouragement machine. I just walked around and just said, Thanks, and you know, you're doing a good job to some people. There was a language barrier, but I think it still got through. Check it out, just see what happened. We'll see how encouragement works. Thank you, Jesus Dembade. You did a very good job. Thank you. Well, good morning. How are you? You're doing a very good job. Thank you. Yeah. How are you? Fine. You did a very nice job this morning. Thank you. Thank you for driving us. You did a great job. Hey, we're here. We just finished a great worship service. This is Gloria, and Gloria just translated like a two-hour service and an incredible sermon, and it was not easy. It was all in Burmese. We had these headsets on. You did an amazing job. What you're doing is really important. You helped us, so thank you, Gloria. Thank you. Thank you, Monte. You do. A, you're doing a good job. Hey. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Hey, you're doing a great job. No, seriously, you guys are doing a great job. I mean it. Well, ladies, thanks for chatting with me. And you look so lovely in your matching outfits. Yes, thank you very much. Yes, bye. bye. And this is my friend Mo Kuku. He took good care of us. He worked so hard at the YMCA. YMCA. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Hey, you did a great job. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. You did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Hope to see you soon. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Hey man, Kirk. I just want to give you some encouragement, dude. You, you're awesome. You know that? You're awesome. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, man. This soundboard looks so complex. I could never do anything like that. But you just, you manhandle that thing. You rock, man. Thanks. Appreciate that, bit. Yeah. Karina. Yes. You, what are you guys doing? You're setting up for a girls' night out or something? Yeah, I'm setting up for girls' night out. Oh, that is a perfect fit for you because you're, you're awesome with that kind of stuff. What do you mean? You're really good with those flowers, man. You guys are doing a great job. Thanks. Yeah, might be having a little trouble with that, but you know what, Tristan, you're doing an awesome job with that tape. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Yeah, there you go. Oh, hey, all you guys. Yeah. Rehearsal. I just want to tell you, it just sounds awesome. Great. Really, you guys just sound great. Thank you. How does that make you feel right now? 
Like that last song when you were singing a solo? It was awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it's not rocket science. Just said thank you, you know. Uh, you don't have to have a video camera rolling. Did you notice the smiles? I got to tell you, about half the people in Myanmar had no idea what I was saying, but they, they, they know the word thank you. And it brought a smile to their face. You know, it's just, this matters, guys, doesn't it? Words aptly spoken are, are so important. And God is going to give you promptings this week, I, I know it, to say something, to speak up. Don't, don't miss those moments. If you're married, one of the primary targets of your spoken words of affirmation should be your spouse. If you're blessed with children, young or old, they need to hear from you. They need to know of your value that you see in them and your love for them. Maybe it's a friend at work or someone who's struggling in their faith or just going through a hard time or someone who appears to be just on top of their game. Everyone needs encouragement and friends, you're the encourager. It's who you are. So speak up. Okay? Second, speak up, believe in. Everybody say, believe in. Believe in. This is so important also. It reminds me of when I was in youth ministry. Um, there was a kid in our youth group back in Minnesota. He was a rascal. Nobody knew what to do with him. No one wanted to be around him. None of the adult sponsors wanted to be around him because he's always causing trouble and mixing it up and who, who knows what he was going to do. Except one guy who was a volunteer with us. His name was Jim, a guy in the church. He's like, you know what? When we go camping, put that guy in my tent. When we went in the car, he says, put him in my car. When we're, when we're having group, he says, I'll sit by him. He was always kind of getting around this troubled kid that no one else wanted to be around. Because he just believed in the kid and he wanted to try to get the best out of him. And that kid turned out great. But it was because of Jim and what he saw in him. And that's kind of what happened with Barnabas. If you think about Acts chapter 13, uh, this is where um, there's a group of folk now that are traveling all over. It's called a missionary journey. You can read about it in the Bible. It's really exciting and very harrowing. And they had all these exciting adventures. But everywhere they went, they would just tell the good news of what Jesus can do in your life. And they would start these little Jesus movements, these little pods and cells called churches. It was amazing. They went everywhere. And there was Paul and Barnabas. And they brought along a young guy named John Mark. But somewhere along the way, John Mark decided he's going to bail on the trip. And so you come across Acts chapter 13, verse 13. It says, there John Mark left them, this is Pamphylia, and he returned to Jerusalem. We don't know why, but maybe he got homesick. Maybe he wanted mom's cooking. Maybe he had a girlfriend. Maybe he got sick. We don't know. Maybe it was just hard, and he was scared because he's a young guy. We don't know. But he goes home. So what's interesting is you fast forward to the end of, of, of Acts chapter 15, and here's what it says in verse 36. So after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and revisit our, our path where we started all these churches, where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. And Barnabas said, great idea. He agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. Hey, let's go get him. Remember him? He had to go home, but let's go get him. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. And their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas says to himself, well, I know Paul's going to keep going anyway, so Barnabas took John Mark with him, and he sailed right back to Cyprus to visit them. And Paul chose Silas, and he left, and the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Isn't it interesting how even this disagreement between Christian workers that they couldn't resolve, God used to spread the gospel even further. And off they went. So in other words, you see what's going on here? Paul says, John Mark, 
No way. I'm done with that guy. He's, he's dead to me. And Barnabas says, all right. Hey, John Mark, you come with me. You're okay. God's not done with you yet. I think there's more in you, John Mark. We're going to get a lot done. In fact, what Barnabas is saying is, I believe in you. I believe in you, John Mark. When's the last time you said that to someone? Or let them know that's how you felt about them. To put some courage back inside of them. When you say, I believe in you, it, it, it changes a person. You know why? Because we all long to hear that. We long to know that that's what God thinks of us. That there's something deep down intrinsically. Not because I did something good, but because I could become something that I'm meant to. That there's something intrinsically of value and worth inside of me and that God feels that way. And when, when a person looks you in the eye and says, I believe in you, man, I'll tell you, we long and hunger for that. We especially need it after a loss, don't we? After we fail at something. When we're going through a hard time physically. When we mess up. When we've endured some criticism. I love Philemon chapter, verse 7, which says, Your love, dear brothers, has given me great joy and what? Encouragement, because you have refreshed the hearts of God's people. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Sometimes our hearts are just like dry, parched desert earth, cracked and barren. And encouragement is just like fresh rain that comes and just we just soak it up. When someone says, I believe in you. It can send the spirit and a heart soaring. It can be a simple phone call, a text message, a simple note. Make your home and your life the most affirmation positive place you can make it. Make it a positive thing. And I'll tell you why. Here's one deal. John Mark, this kid that Barnabas said, you come with me. He turned out to be a pretty awesome guy. He's, by the way, the one who wrote the second book of our New Testament, Mark. An eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. I wonder what John Marks there are in your life that need someone to say, I believe in you. Can you think of someone? So speak up, believe in. Let me give you one more before we go, okay? Spur on. Everybody say, spur on. Spur on. Spur on. It's a reminder that there's another angle to encouragement, that it's not soft, but kind of has a little sharp point to it. Sometimes encouragement takes the shape of encouraging someone to do better because you love them too much not to sort of poke them a little bit to call out the best in them. Maybe you've had someone do that for you. Someone who really just brings out the best. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says this, Let us consider how we may, read it with me, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That was lame. You didn't read it with me. Try it again. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Spur one another on. And you get what that is, right? A spur is the idea of agitate or provoke with a sharp point. You know what a spur is, right? Cowboys wear it on the back end of their boots, a little jagged piece of metal affixed there. Now, when I ride horseback, I typically do a running mount from behind. I just jump and I spring on. And once I get on, let's say I'm trying to get away from the bad guys. They're shooting at me. And my horse is trotting along. Now I have options there. I'm getting chased and shot at. My horse is trotting. I can lean forward. I can lean forward and whisper gently in the ear of my horse, 
Hey, horsey, I really appreciate you. Your mane is so silky, Maybelline smooth. That's probably not what I'm going to do in that moment, right? What am I going to do? I'm going to put the heel of my boot as hard as I can right in the ribs of that horse. And I'm going to spur that horse on so we can giddy up on out of there. I'm going to do it hard enough to get his attention, but never to hurt. When you love someone enough, don't, don't, be, don't be giving me your spurs if, if you don't love me. If you don't love me, I don't care what you think, frankly. But you love me, I'll listen. And so you believe in people and love people and affirm them enough to earn the right to help spur them to become all that they're meant to be. Never to harm, but always to help. To bring out the best and to spur us on to love and good deeds, to be better. To make a correction in their life. To rise up to their best version of themselves. To stop doing something that's hurting themselves or someone else. To, to, to grow through a quitting point that they've hit. We're not talking about nagging. We're not talking about criticizing. We're, we're talking about believing in someone to the place where you will ask a hard question or give them a spur that will help them grow up into the very thing that Jesus is calling them to be. Words of motivation. Carla and I are going to go to a, a conference here in, in a week or two. And, and some of it's going to be very uplifting. And some of it's going to be like a kick in the shorts to say, hey, remember, keep your marriage strong. You know, keep your disciplines in place. You need to work harder at this because we need that. You guys, all of us do, not always to feel comfortable. So friends, who in your life needs it? Someone does. Speak up. Believe in. Spur on. Okay? You know where I learned the most about this? Was... My freshman year of college, I went on my very first rock climbing trip. We had a little class, which mostly just scared us to death about what was going to happen. And then we, on a very cold November weekend, we went off to Devil's Lake, Wisconsin. A group of us, about 15 or 20 of us, I guess. And before we ever touched the rock or the rope, as we gathered there at the campsite, our leader, Rick, gave us a little talk. And he said, you know, the most important factor this weekend... It's not going to be how strong you are or what the weather is or whether the equipment functions properly. The most important factor this whole weekend is going to be the encouragement factor. It's what happens in here that matters most. And he said, just to sort of get started, I want to tell you, we're going to become the most positive team and encouragement factor you've ever seen and I don't want you to hold back. And he just encouraged us to be liberal and loose and free. If you see something that even remotely could use encouragement, speak up, bend down, help out, whatever it takes. And we started getting into it and doing it. It was a lot of fun. But I'll tell you where it all came home for me and got real was when it was my turn to climb. I'd already climbed a couple of fairly easy, successful little faces. Felt pretty good about myself. But I was exhausted and I was ready to go back and eat something by the fire, frankly. And that's when the leader came up. He looked at me and he said, Ben, that one right there has got your name on it. And he pointed to an 80-foot slab right in front of me that looked really scary. I felt a little spur in my side. I didn't want to do it, but I figured I should at least try to make it look good. And 50 feet later, and a few moments later, I'm dangling up there, 50 feet up, my forearms are absolutely blitzed. I got Popeye forearm. And I got sewing machine leg. My knuckles are bleeding. It's freezing cold. I'm scared and I'm exhausted. 
And I've got one move in front of me that's the crux move, the actual hardest part of the climb. Once you get over it, it's fairly easy to the top, but I had nothing left to give. I had to make a dynamic move to reach up, and there's a crack, and I couldn't reach it. There was no way. And I begin to hear these voices in my head that says, well, if I just quit, they'll have to lower me down, and, and I at least got this far. And uh, maybe I should make it look like I tried, so that way they'll let me down quicker. And I've got all these voices going in my head, but it's at that point I begin to hear other voices. Voices from the team down below, Lori and Rick and Phil and Moose and Wendy and Mark and Craig, and all of them are kind of talking one at a time. It's like, hey, Ben, you can do this. Hey, Ben. I forgot for a moment. I thought I was alone, but now they're down there and we're kind of a team. And they're like, you got this. Hey, there's a, there's a crack up there. They're giving me directions. If you throw your hand up into that crack, I'm like, and something began to happen inside of me. I began to, I began to sort of feel a change where the courage in my bones began to kind of fire up a little bit. And instead of the voices telling me to quit, the voices were now telling me, I think I can do this. Ben, you can do this. They began to chant. They began, don't stay there too long. You're going to get stuck. They began to chant my name. Ben, Ben, Ben. So I got some words of comfort. I got some words of encouragement. Before I knew it, I was making a lunge and I threw my hand up into that crack and it stuck. It wedged. And I had nothing left, but somehow through their cheering, I yanked up as hard as I could. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. I throw my leg up on a crack. I grab a horn and I'm screaming ah! and I get up over the top and I'm trembling I'm shaking I'm crying I don't know why and it wasn't about climbing it was about encouragement because something happened through me that would not have happened had I not experienced that you know someone who's on a wall right now or they're about to hit one and their hands are bleeding, and they're exhausted. And they're hearing voices that are telling them to quit. And what they need is a team of voices with yours in it that will speak up and believe in them. Voices that will spur them on to who they need to be. So be a Barnabas. It's who you are. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for the voices and the people in our lives who have buoyed us up, who have helped us, upon whose shoulders we stand at this moment. And now we pray that you will help us to see that's who you've called us to be for someone. Maybe not in some grand and heroic, life-changing way, but in little nickel deposits each day. Teach us, Lord, to be Mr. and Mrs. Encouragement, that we would be known for it, in this world of so much oppression and darkness and heaviness, will you make us those who just know how to lift heads and release good from you into the world? We pray it in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.